and welcome to Let's Talk SciComm, a podcast by the University of Melbourne Science Communication Teaching Team. I'm Associate Professor Jen Martin and my wonderful co-host is Dr Michael Wheeler and we believe that science isn't finished until it's communicated. Hello and a very warm welcome to another episode of Let's Talk SciComm. I'm Jen and as always I'm joined by my good friend Michael. Hello Michael. Hey Jen, it is great to be here as always but before we begin today I have to ask have you been out for a run recently? Yeah I have this morning. I've been running this morning. It was delightful. A lot better than when I ran on Saturday in the absolutely pouring rain. Ah that does sound (laughs) miserable and I made sure to get in an hour on the bike before today's podcast because we are going to be talking about physical activity and mental health and I really wanted to impress our guests Dr. (laughs) Megan Tashine and Dr. Neve Mundell. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's lovely to be here and I'm suitably impressed. Thank you. Yeah so first first (laughs) question on a scale of one to ten how impressed are you at Jen and myself's exercise? Ten out of ten. Great. (laughs) I feel thoroughly validated now, Michael. Thank you for beginning my day this way. Great. Well, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you very much for listening. (laughs) We'll just leave it on a high. No, but seriously, for the listeners at home, Megan is a NHMRC Emerging Leadership Fellow at the Institute for Physical Activity and Nutrition at Deakin University. And Megan, your work is in the area of physical activity, sedentary behavior, mental illness, with a particular focus on depression and anxiety, and also with a focus on at-risk populations too. And Megan, you're also my work neighbor. Your office is only a few doors down from mine. That's right. I have to say that I do enjoy getting on campus, you know, from time to time and actually seeing a face or two. So it's actually nice to see you today as well. Yeah, it's fantastic. And when we were chatting about this episode, Megan, you suggested to bring along Neve, who I've not met before. So Neve, it's lovely to meet you. Thanks. Lovely to meet you too. Thanks for having me. For the listeners, Neve's a lecturer in clinical exercise physiology and an accredited exercise physiologist at Deakin University. You're also a non-executive director at Exercise and Sports Science Australia, and you've published lots in the area of physical activity and mental health. But Neve, I suspect the real reason that Megan suggested you as a guest for today's episode is because you were previously in a band together. Is that correct? <laughs> oh, the secret. So I'm not sure we were in a band together. I did offer to play the triangle for one of Megan's gigs. Oh, right, right. Okay. So you had applied to be in the band, but you didn't make the cut. <laughs> I don't think we've had the audition yet. So. Yeah, that's right. right. We're, we're very strict with who we allow in and out. And if you're playing the triangle, it's got to be to a very high quality, Michael. Right. I see. I see. Well, look, maybe if you've got a triangle lying around there, Neve, feel free to uh, play it. <laughs> and uh, you've got Megan's attention now. So <laughs> just so happens I do. Oh, oh there you go. <laughs> the audition is live. You're in, Neve. You're in. <laughs> All right. That was my second question, Megan, on a scale of one to ten. How good was that triangle? <laughs> that was very good. We'll give that a ten. Thank you. 
But look, thanks so much for joining us today to chat about physical activity and mental health. I'm always curious to ask the question of what was your motivation for getting into this area of work? So maybe, Megan, we could start with you first. Yeah, I guess it was a couple of motivations. Uh, Originally, you know, as a teenager, I just, I love to be active. And I found that going for a run after school was just was my downtime and I really felt the mental health benefits of going for that run. And then when I got to university and I was doing my undergrad phys ed course, I remember there was one lecture. She was a Dr. Kylie Ball at the time. She's now a professor. But she gave a lecture and there was one slide in there that said, oh, an exercise, you know, might be linked to positive mental health benefits. And that was about it. And I thought, Mm. Now, this seems like a pretty cool area to research more in. So that's where it kind of stemmed from. I then did my honours and PhD with Kylie as my supervisor. And that really just put me on onto this passion project of, you know, trying to find the best physical activities that we can promote to optimise mental health for everyone. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, it's such an appealing proposition that something as accessible and and relatively simple as exercise, I mean, obviously, there's lots of different types of exercise, but you always imagine that everyone could find something that they enjoy doing and they have access to, that that could be enough to be really helpful for mental health. I think that's just a a wonderful thing to try and understand better. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And often, you know, we'll have one lecturer or one lecture even in particular that can influence us. It's uh, it's amazing when you kind of think back on the, yeah, the influence that our, our lecturer has had at, at university. Um, so Neve, how about yourself? What were your motivations for getting into this area? Well, similarly to Megan, that for myself, going for a run is really the only thing that keeps my mind sane, I feel, <laughs> and fitting it in has become more and more important the older I've got and the busier I've got. But also I, I work as an exercise physiologist and often I was finding that a lot of my clients who had other chronic conditions like diabetes or cancer or cardiovascular disease were presenting with mental health challenges at mm. the very least Mm-hmm. And the two things seem to negatively affect each other. So, and, and there's evidence as well that shows that if you have a chronic disease or a chronic illness and you have a mental illness, the two things tend to make each other worse. So it was about, for me, finding ways to help the whole person to take a bit better control of their health. And, yeah, exercise has been a great tool. Yeah, I can completely understand what you're both saying. Running for me is just essential to maintaining good mental health, so much so that I ran far too much during the first year of lockdowns in Melbourne and ended up with a stress fracture, which wasn't kind of ideal, but, you know, kept me going through 2020. So, (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I found during these very long Melbourne lockdowns that exercise was essential and I think that's what was really lovely about the government recommendations. They at least allowed us at minimum to be able to go and be active for an hour a day. And I think, you know, that's them acknowledging how important it is for Mm. mental health. Yeah, 100%. I just can't imagine what it would have been like had we not had at least an hour a day to get out with the dog, the kids, whatever it was. 
But I think listening, you know, it just makes me think this is such a big topic, mental health in and of itself and physical activity in and of itself, and then bring them together. It's such a big topic and it's, you know, it's sort of hard to know where to start when we think about supporting our listeners who want to know how to take the best care of themselves. But because we knew it was going to be such a big topic, we did actually put a call out to our listeners to find out what they wanted to know. And thanks so much to the listeners who got back to us with their questions. So I'm going to pose one of their questions to you. So thank you from Alicia. Anderson for this question and Alicia asked does the length of exercise or the type of exercise impact the effect that it has on mental health and what what's your best advice you know is it about cardio is it about an hour whatever it is but then with a follow-up question which I think is really interesting Alicia asked out of curiosity are there any forms of exercise that actually have a negative impact on mental health so I'm not Mm. sure who wants to take that but I'm desperate to hear the answers thanks for the great questions Alicia Sure, I'll jump in. Yeah, so we've been looking for about the last 15 years at different kinds of physical activity and how they're associated with mental health outcomes. So that might be depressive symptoms, it might be anxiety symptoms, etc. And what we've looked at is the different domains of physical activity, so the different purpose or, or life context of that physical activity. And we can break physical activity down to four domains. That's leisure time physical activity, so what we do for recreation, transport-related physical activity, so what we do to get from place to place. We've got domestic physical activity, so that's the old cleaning the house, and then work-related physical activity, so that physical activity we do as a part of our occupation. So for a nurse, it might be walking around a hospital. And what we've shown time and time again now is that leisure time physical activity and transport-related physical activity are positively associated with mental health outcomes. So really beneficial for our mental health. But on the flip side, what we've shown is that work-related physical activity may have the opposite effect. That is, the more work-related physical activity one does, the poorer the mental health outcomes. Now, that's not saying that all work-related physical activity is going to have that adverse effect on our mental health, but it suggests that it's not a one-size-fits-all, and I think that's really important to keep in mind. So that you know, being active for recreation or getting from place to place is really where we're going to get those mental health benefits. And it kind of makes sense because when you think about components of physical activity that are important for mental health, enjoyment of physical activity or having that sense of control over your physical activity, those elements are particularly prominent in leisure time and transport related physical activity. You can choose to be you know, to go for a run or you can choose to go dancing or whatever it might be. But when it comes to work-related or even domestic physical activity, those elements don't generally really exist unless you really enjoy cleaning the house, which some people do. (laughs) Isn't that fascinating? Mm. So it's the sense of agency. It's kind of having some choice and deciding I want to do this rather than I have to do this. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So maybe I need to take a bit more agency (laughs) over the domestic physical activity that I do and say, (laughs) I'm choosing to wash the dishes. Think of the good it will do you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's such an important point that you make as well, Megan, about one size doesn't fit all. And there's actually not really one best 
type of exercise, as you say, it's really whatever works for, for you and your kind of particular situation. And, you know, it's interesting to think about exercise then for different groups of people because everyone's got their own needs. And we did actually have another great question from one of our listeners, Dr. Susan Northfield, who asked, what about the role of exercise in managing neurodiverse conditions like ADHD? Susan's interested in that and also, you know, whether there are different effects for adults versus children. That's a great question. I'll have a go at that. Thanks for that question. So the evidence for exercise and helping people with ADHD to manage their symptoms is quite a new area and it is growing quite rapidly. But essentially the benefits that any person really can experience from exercise for cognitive and mental health will also apply to somebody with ADHD. And maybe because they're a person who's initially having difficulty with their concentration has the benefits as well. It might be that effects seem greater, if you know what I'm saying. So the effects to concentration mm-hmm. and mood and memory and things like that can seem greater. There is some evidence that this was a while ago I read this, so it may have been updated, but I did read that some of the medications for ADHD can increase or reduce the children's ability to thermoregulate, so it can be more important to stay hydrated when it comes to children. So in terms of mental health, though, I guess the social element is really important for children. It is for adults as well, but particularly when it comes to children who might have some kind of stigmatizing mental health label or condition that potentially they feel judged or not necessarily ADHD it could be be anything and it may also be physical then feeling excluded from physical activity can have a really negative effect so feeling excluded Mm. from sport or not included as part of the team or, or not good enough and it can you know the opposite of the mastery experience, if you like. And it can lead mm. to sort of lifelong avoidance, which is, is a really sad thing because uh, there's so much to be gained from it. Mm. Listening to you speak, Eve, it, it kind of becomes really apparent that there's just really a plethora of health benefits when it comes to exercise. I'm sure many of our listeners will be familiar with that mantra that exercise is medicine. But just to kind of touch back on on something that you mentioned earlier about equity, what about this idea of equity of access when it comes to information about the health benefits of exercise or even access to facilities that, you know, encourage us to, to be more physically active or allow us to do that? How much work needs to be done in the area of generating new knowledge about the health benefits of exercise versus actually getting that knowledge out there and ensuring equity of access to that information and access to facilities to encourage people to be more active. Great point, Michael. I think it's pretty clear from the evidence that exercise is good for mental health. And so in terms of the evidence base, we've got a lot to stand on there. There's still a little bit of research needed to tease out exactly which qualitative components are going to be more beneficial. So, for example, looking at indoor versus outdoor physical activity. But in general, exercise is good for mental health. So the big gap is that 
that translational gap, that implementation science gap, and that's where we need to really start focusing on. So how can we implement physical activity into systems that already exist? How can we increase the access to facilities, to walking tracks, to safe places to be physically active? And and we often see people living in socioeconomically disadvantaged neighbourhoods. These neighbourhoods are often characterised by poor street lighting, safety concerns, busy traffic, busy roads. And those kinds of elements when you're being physically active are probably not going to enhance your mental health. They can potentially have adverse effects. So we've really got to start thinking about, well, yeah, the the design of these neighbourhoods and how we can improve access to great facilities and, and places to be active for people particularly of low socioeconomic position. Mm. It makes me think, Megan, do we know whether all of the the kind of increase in online availability of exercise classes during the pandemic, do we know, has that helped more people to have access to exercise support? Yeah, there's been some research suggesting that during particularly the lockdowns, there was a increase in people accessing these online workouts, even YouTube, those kinds of things. So that is certainly increasing the access for those populations, but that's if you enjoy that kind of physical activity. And Mm. we've got to keep in mind that a lot of people perhaps don't enjoy doing (laughs) a high intensity (laughs) interval training workout in their lounge room. And perhaps they would prefer to go for a walk out in the neighbourhood where they might feel safe, where they might be able to get a bit of sunshine and even some social interaction. So when we bear all of those characteristics in mind for our mental health, I guess it's providing a smorgasbord of opportunities Mm -hmm. for physical activity for everyone. Mm, Absolutely. Michael, did your eyes just light up there at the mention of the word smorgasbord? (laughs) Yeah, and my stomach growls. (laughs) (laughs) We often seem to, Michael and I are both very, very passionate exercisers and and it means we also both quite like eating. (laughs) So we often end up talking about food, don't we, Michael? I think it's a common theme to the podcast. (laughs) It always creeps in, especially if we're recording at lunchtime. Well, speaking about common themes, this is a science communication podcast and obviously we're so thrilled to have your advice and input because we believe that scientists are very busy people, often overwhelmed for us to be suggesting that we want people to spend a whole lot of time communicating their work. You know, people need to feel well and energised to be able to do that. But um, So, you know, your advice is really pertinent to all of us. But given that it is a science communication podcast, I'd really like to end by Just hearing both your thoughts on communicating these ideas around physical activity and mental health to a non-expert audience, because I know that you've both spent lots of time doing that. So I'm interested to hear why do you think that's important? Why do you find the time to do this? And, And I guess just what advice you have. What have you learned about how to communicate your research effectively to non experts? Yeah, I'll I'll jump in. I think you know, science communication is so, so important, hence why you were both doing this fabulous podcast. If we've got all the knowledge and we're holding it to ourselves or within peer-reviewed journals where it's not accessible to the broader population, well, that's a, that's a bit of a waste. And I think it's just so important, particularly when it comes to mental health. We know that 
one in five people are going to experience a mental health condition in their lifetime. It's so important that we can get these messages out there. And, and as Neve said earlier on, that this is such a, a great tool, physical activity, a great simple tool that most people can do to enhance their mental health. So when it comes to Psycom, I've had a, a bit of experience in the media and it often comes around at mental health week, so generally in October. And we usually line up a few radio interviews and, and newspaper interviews. And some of the lessons I've learned from that experience that I think might be useful for some of the listeners is, well, firstly, keeping your message really simple, so no jargon. Having, you know, one to two key messages that you really kind of circle back to. But thirdly, taking the lead when it comes to those interviews. And I've got an example of a few years ago, Mental Health Week interview, Breakfast Radio, 6am. Quite a prominent breakfast radio host was fixated on the my last name, my surname, and how you have an acute or the punctuation for the E at the very end. <laughs> and knowing that you've only got six minutes for a radio interview, yeah. and this is Mental Health Week, really mm. important stuff to get our key messages out there. Mm. I had to really think on my feet how to take the lead. And after about a minute and a half of him talking about how you would use the the keyboard on the computer to... to get an accent or an acute he said oh gosh that that would be a bit of a struggle and as soon as he said the word struggle I took the lead and I said well speaking of struggle a lot of people are struggling with their mental health and I was able to pivot this this interview around but oh nice work I can just imagine you getting so frustrated it's like dude (laughs) we've only got a couple of minutes can we talk about the important stuff Yeah, uh, it's such good advice because you do only have a short amount of time and really, you know, you've got to get your message out in a concise way. And yeah, it sounds like quite a challenging situation there, Megan. Hopefully uh, nothing similar has um, happened with you, Neve. Have you uh, ever been in in a situation like that before? Well, not exactly like that, Michael, and I'm going to be a little bit cheeky and flip the question here a little bit too. My why is the reason why I think it's important to communicate about the value of exercise and physical activity for for your mental health and your cognitive health is that people with mental illnesses in particular or mental health challenges face specific challenges and barriers not just what Meg's mentioned in terms of the environment or financial stigma, but motivation can be difficult. Feeling isolated and overcoming the feeling of apathy can just seem overwhelming. And having a bit of knowledge and a place to start is just an additional tool in the toolkit that that can help people to self-manage, empower people to take their own steps. And I guess what it comes down to is what's meaningful for the person And similarly, when you're communicating your science, it's got to be in a way that's meaningful to your audience. What is it that's going to help them right now Mm -hmm. to get to where they want to be? Well said. Yeah, such good advice because I I guess um, those ideas that if you're able to communicate them effectively, it really can make a huge difference to people's lives. And sometimes yeah we have to kind of remember to put ourselves in the in the shoes of the person listening or the people listening so i think that's that's great advice neve 
And we have come to that time of the podcast where we must shift gears a little bit now. And we've been asking some, you know, some big questions. Now it's time for some little questions. <laughs> <laughs> so these are the, uh, the lighthearted rapid fire questions. We'll do three of them, I think, today, Jen. That's a deal. Deal. <laughs> so first question off the rank. If you had to pick an alternative career to what you're doing now, what would it be? And maybe, Neve, we might start with you. Well, I don't think I'd be a triangle player. Oh, that's what I was hoping <laughs> your answer was going to be, yeah. Neve. <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. Probably. Look, it's, I'll be honest. I've, I've already got this career as well. It's mum. Wonderful choice of career. What about you, Migs? Oh, look, I think the obvious answer is singer-songwriter would be fabulous. But um, I also sometimes have this dream on those days when I'm getting barreled with emails and I just can't keep up. I think working in a library would be quite nice, wouldn't it? I don't envisage there'd be too many mm-hmm. emails coming through or perhaps that's that's a little bit old school of me to think that way. But, yeah, Something without emails would be lovely. Oh, here, here. Can you tell me what that job is, the job without emails? Because I want it. <laughs> okay, you, um, you both mentioned music of some description in your responses, even if it was the, the humble triangle. So I have to know, as people who care about physical exercise, have you got a favourite song or genre of music that really makes you feel pumped up and fired up and wanting to get out and exercise. I think Michael and I, you know, we need to start making a song list, I think, a playlist. Mm. I am pretty eclectic when it comes to music and it really depends on my mood as to what playlist I'm going to listen to. I've got a upbeat to move your feet playlist on online where um, that's, you know, a bit more fast music shall we say and then I've got the chill out to work out playlist as well Mm. which has got more folky music but look one song that will always get me pumped up is life is a highway that Uh, the start of that song that harmonica yeah that will always get me in the mood to get out dance run walk whatever it might be Okay, I'm writing that down. I'm adding it to my running playlist. Thank you, Megan. How about you, Neve? Have you got a, a particular song? I don't have a particular song. I'm, I'm also quite eclectic. Strangely enough, I was recently running to some marching music, <laughs> which is just heavy percussion. I do like uh, drums and, and, and bass, but I don't have a particular song. And similarly to Mix Yet, it's, it's all about the mood and, and sometimes it's just the birds singing. I want to listen yep. to. Mm. I hear you. Or a good yeah. podcast like this one. <laughs> oh, thank you for the lovely plug. We'll yeah. take that anytime. Yeah, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Maybe we need to cater for the listeners who are jogging and really kind of up the tempo. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we could record while we go running, Michael. How would that sound? A bit of huffing and puffing? I'm sure it would be great. Yeah, well, the ideas would be great, but I don't know about the sound quality. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. <laughs> so, Mix, you sing. Michael, you can huff and puff, and I'll play the triangle. Jen? Uh, yeah. I'm happy to sing too. Yeah, sing? I'm happy. I can do backups. Okay, yeah, great. Happy, we just need to come up with a that. name for our band. <laughs> 
Alrighty, so final question that I'd like to ask you both. You've given us some great advice already, you know, especially when it comes to science communication. But if you had to pick one top tip for effective science communication, what would it be? And maybe, Megan, would you like to take this one first? Sure. I, and I think I mentioned this before, but just keeping it simple and avoiding that jargon. We've got to make SciCom mm -hmm. accessible to everybody. Keep it simple and so the key messages can get through. Excellent advice. And Neve. So that would have been my advice too, is keep it simple. But I, I'll just say, um, I guess similar to what, what I mentioned earlier, keep it meaningful for your audience. So simple for one audience is not necessarily simple for another. So our science audience hopefully will potentially might have a better grip on some of the jargon that might slip out every now and then. But if we're talking to kids or people who have got English as a second language, it's, it's a different story. So keeping it at the level for your audience, I think it's important. Great advice. Yeah, excellent advice. Well, thank you so much, Megan and Neve, for coming on the podcast. That was really enjoyable. I've taken lots of notes that I'm going to be able to implement. So thank you for that excellent information and for demonstrating some excellent science communication there as well. So much appreciated. Pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thanks so much, Megan and Neve. That was really interesting. And I think it's important information for us all to know. So thanks for making time for us. Thanks for listening, and thanks also to our wonderful production team, Stephanie Wong and Stephen Tang, for making these episodes happen behind the scenes. And thanks also to you, our listeners, for your support. If you are enjoying these episodes, you can help spread the word by telling a friend about Let's Talk SciComm, or even sharing one of our episodes. But that's all for this week. We'll be back in your feed next Tuesday. See you then.